This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv. An unmatched dual threat. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is our division preview episode. Training camp is just about over, and it seems like the NFL is Collinsworth sliding into our TVs ever so stealthily. And with me this week to discuss the finer points of his beerita setup, it's David Newman. Look, man, that's just uh, that's where I'm at right now is uh, is with a beerita. We decided to order uh, for dinner is because I was prepping for the pod, so I didn't really want to spend time um, making dinner. And so I was like, you know what? We're going to order burger and fries. Oh, shit. This place is delivering alcohol. Wow. They have beeritas. Here we are. That's that's really all I've got to say about it. If you're not sure what a beerita is, it don't stretch the bounds of your imagination too far. It's exactly what it sounds like. It is uh, typically uh, a coronita, a little beer. Uh, or as Garriguillam would say, a coronita, inverted into a frozen margarita. And and that's about it. It's delicious. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a staple on Texas patios everywhere. Uh, and it's, you know, it's going to be one of those kinds of pods. That last week was pretty hype, I must admit. But Beerita is a whole new level. Beerita, man. That's, it turns out, um, you know, raising a tiny human can be a little bit exhausting sometimes. And sometimes you just need the end, at the end of the day, you need a Beerita. That's all. Yeah, I'm with you. I've, I've got I've, I've been rocking the official Jarek McKinnon comeback of the year award beer uh, flavor country. It's the purple can with the red bottom. It's got all of the colors of Jarek McKinnon's life. Um, maybe even uh, of his knee, depending. Does on he have a red bottom? Do <laughs> did you give him a red bottom? Uh, no, I did not. This is going to veer <laughs> off the rails really quickly. Uh, the red is for the Niners. David, I got get your mind, you. get your mind out of the gutter. But let's get to the rundown because the the Niners are apparently tinkering with crowd noise in the stadium, trying to figure out if they're going to have crowd noise. The NFL hasn't yet set the rules on what they can have for the crowd noise yet. So it seems, I mean, you're, we're what, a week, two weeks away from the season starting? A week from tomorrow is the first game. And we haven't figured this out yet. Like, this isn't a question that you've thought maybe we should ask. Like, hey guys, there probably are not going to be fans in most of these stadiums. Should we let them have crowd noise? I don't know. What do you think? And I feel like there's so many questions that you would have with something like this because there is, okay, at what decibel level? Is it the decibel level that you pipe in or is it the meter decibel level on the outside because, you know, it bounces off walls and there's Seattle and the whole thing? What is it the decibel level that is limited with the fans that are there because there are some stadiums that will be able to have fans? And it just it just seems like there's so many questions that they haven't answered. And we've got just a couple of days and it, it has yet to be figured out. Does everyone like is there like a, an accurate recording of the decibel level of each stadium like on at like do they measure that in every game or is that like just Seattle? 
I, I have no shit about that. I'm sure Sunday Night Football has a tracked version of the, whatever fake meter they have that shows the right, decibel yeah. level. What would be fantastic is if they could only have the like average decibel level in their stadium from last season. So if you had a shitty crowd last year, you get a shitty crowd again this year. Uh, that would be All fantastic. 17 people in the Chargers stadium. You, you right, can actually yeah. hear the one dude. You can't actually pipe noise there because there was no noise. You get a random boo. Shanahan is saying that he does want to have some degree of crowd noise because they're, you know, him calling out the place is not going to be that big of a deal because he doesn't want to, he's going to speak normal. He doesn't want to yell in the quarterback's ear because the microphone is, or the, or the speaker rather is right next to the quarterback's ear. But a lot of times when the defense is calling out plays or when the mic linebacker is calling out shifts, quarterbacks will be able to pick up on that because they can hear more from the sideline and from the players than they would be able to normally. So Shanahan said he wanted it less so for the offense, but more so for the defense and what the defense is able to call out because smart quarterbacks can kind of pick up on it. So I, I think that that's, you know, fair and valid, something you haven't really had to think about because there hasn't not been fans at, at a football game in a very, very long time. And and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens when when they get crowd noise piped in. I think what's what's funny enough is that every team probably already has some experience piping in crowd noise. So like that this isn't Who is this it? isn't uh, going to be a new the, phenomenon. The Falcons, well versed, yeah. yeah. they know what's up. <laughs> on on Peyton's places, I think um, Tom Brady was giving Peyton Manning crap about piping crowd noise in, uh, and, and Peyton Manning said, like, "We never did that." No idea like, what you're sure. talking about. Sure, buddy. Sure. Uh, on the injury front. Uh, Ford, Bosa, and Kittle all on target for week one. Same with Greenlaw and Brandon Ayuk, and likely Ben Garland, which is good. It's probably the best news. The center position is the one that is most worrisome. We've talked about it for a couple weeks now, but it looks like Ben Garland is on track to come back for week one. Richie James, out of the blue, might be available for week one. I, I don't know that that behooves Richie James. Like you, You would think that he, at this point, with the... Uh, I don't know that it is a, a glut of wide receivers because a lot of them are untested, but I, I do think that they've probably got their six or maybe seven, but being able to to put Richie James on the, uh, based on, on, I think it's the pup, because it was the NFI, yeah, he was on the NFI, so it'd be the physically uh, unable to perform list for the first six weeks would behoove him, and then if there's an injury, then he can kind of come in in the middle of the year and begin playing, but I, I don't know that he necessarily makes the roster if he tries to come back and be active and needs to take up a roster spot for week one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's going to it's going to be I, I don't know. I think he might snag like while they are dealing with, you know, other injuries and stuff like that, he might be able to snag a spot. But um, I, I feel like, yeah, they wouldn't. I don't know. I, I feel like from the 49ers perspective, right, they would try to hide him on that list and like be like, hey, you're not quite ready. Yet. We're not going to clear you. We're going to stash you on this. If right. He wasn't, you know, or if, if he was ready to play, but they felt like he wasn't going to make the roster once cuts happened. If they do keep Richie James, I think that comes at the expense of someone like Juwan Jennings. Juwan Jennings is someone that we've talked about. We really like his game. We think he could be an asset in the slot. It's just a big body dude uh, that has some pretty good wiggle to him and, and some savviness in his route running. But if I think Jennings is going to be someone they might try to stash on the practice squad, but I won and, and it might be easier this year because there's no preseason games. So no one can see his tape and say, like, is he actually any good? What is he doing? But the the team might think it might be easier to stash Jennings than it would be someone like Richie James, who would probably be a Seattle Seahawk in 17 and a half seconds if he were released by the Niners. Do we know, like, so, you know, just looking at, like, projections from some of the beat reporters and stuff like that, both Dave Lombardi and Matt Barrows have Tavon Austin. making So they have him keeping seven wide receivers and have Tavon Austin being there. Would, would you think... That I, I mean, it makes sense that either Austin or Jennings seem to be the two that if he were going to come back and be active week one, those would be the guys I would target as like, yeah, they're probably, you know, going to get replaced by him. Yeah, I do think that it would be interesting because I do think Tavon Austin and Rich, and Richie James would fill that a similar role. Yeah. So I think it'd be one of those if he does make it, I guess he makes it in, in at the expense of someone like Tavon Austin. But I mean, it's basically it's it's your fast dude who you run some gadgets with. And, and that's what we're talking about. Might be about a return here. guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so hopefully for Richie James, hopefully just for him, him, his wrist and his career, he's able to come back. But I'm curious to see if the Niners try to stash him just just because of the attrition war that is the the, the NFL. Um, and, but in wide receiver news, Mohamed Sanu, released by the Patriots. Uh, the, basically, Bill Belichick's kryptonite at this point is evaluating wide receivers. And and he traded a second, second round pick, third round pick, second round pick for Mohamed Sanu. And cut him 
at the end of this year. And I think at this point, you've got to think that Kyle Shanahan's looking at, at Sanu. Sanu was someone that the Niners were targeting with the Emmanuel's. Like, it was him or Emmanuel Sanders. And they ended up going with Emmanuel Sanders because it was basically too rich for Sanu's blood. Or Sanu was too rich for Shanahan's blood. And now here we are. And then I think Shanahan might be doing the proverbial, you know, rubbing of the hands, being like, all the wide receivers are mine. Completely wild to me that Muhammad Sanu was like getting more, like fetching more on the market than Emmanuel Sanders last year. Like that, that's completely insane. Like Emmanuel Sanders is a far better receiver to me. Yeah, I think there's there may not be much to squeeze out of the Muhammad Sanu rock at this point. Yeah, but if if anyone can squeeze it out, it would be Shanahan. Yeah, and at least you know you always worry about guys like that getting added late in the process. But at least he has obviously some familiarity with the offense, and imagine he would be able to get up to speed fairly quickly. He loves players that used to play for him. And this is Travis Benjamin. Travis Benjamin yeah. played for him for a year in Cleveland, and he was like, yeah, let's run it back. You know, I mean, Pierre Garçon was, a, was someone that he decided to run it back with. I mean, there's always, he's always dipping into the, if it worked out once before, let's see if we can continue that into the future well. And I could see Mohamed Sanu fitting fitting that veteran role if if he ends up becoming available. But I, I get the sense that Sanu is probably going to be able to sign like a one-year deal somewhere for some, for a decent amount of money and not worry about being on on the practice squad with the new expanded rules. All right, so there's not a lot of news. I mean, look, when there's no preseason games, th- this season feels like it's snuck up on me at this point. We're, oh, we're a week away, and we haven't seen much of anything, but we've got games, and, and that means that the next two episodes are going to be all about previews, and this episode is going to be about previewing the division opponents the Niners will face, and next week we're going to do a 49ers season preview. So for the division preview, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about each team, talk a little bit about some key additions, and then just talk about a couple of key questions that we have about each one of these teams that is going to, we think, be important for how their season is going to play out and whether or not the the Niners and how the Niners are really going to be able to face them. And we'll go in really no logical order. I think I put them in the order of like Seattle, Arizona, and then LA. There's no rhyme or reason behind that. I think that's probably just how they cropped up in my mind. But um, we'll we'll start with Seattle first. And, and I think with Seattle, you've got your... Key additions, which are Jamal Adams. I hate you. Uh, Quentin Dunbar, maybe, if he's not in jail. Uh, Greg Olson uh, and Jordan Brooks. Yeah, Quentin Dunbar, I think the charges were dropped against him, actually. He was in that um, like aggravated assault with the uh, uh, the corner from New York. Oh, his name escapes me. But yeah, they apparently like robbed a place with guns. Uh, and uh, DeAndre Baker, that's the guy. DeAndre Baker. Ooh, Quentin yeah, Dunbar. I mean, that's... DeAndre Baker, uh, not not a great start to his NFL career from really any aspect. Um, no, not yeah. at all. Anyway. But those, I mean, it, it sucks when your key when when the key additions are two pretty good secondary players on on defense. That's that's never what you want to see. Greg Olson of the tight end one variety. He's his voice is on our pod. Not not officially friend of the pod because it's not a real live interview here. But you know he's friend he's pod adjacent friendish at this point. Yeah. Acquaintance <laughs> of the pod. Acquaintance of the pod. <laughs> and then first round pick, Jordan Brooks. I think when when you look at what Seattle did last year, the first question you have to ask is whether or not they're going to hit the one score win plexiglass. Because one score win games, or when you win a game or lose a game by one score, the, the idea is that there's a lot of luck that goes into winning or losing that game. And Seattle had a ton of one score games last year. If you take one score as eight points, right, a touchdown or two-point conversion, they were 10-2 and two in games decided by eight points or fewer, and they were 1-1 one and one in the playoffs. They won against Philadelphia and then lost against Green Bay. And the, the idea with plexiglass and the plexiglass principle is that when you overperform something to that degree where you end up being 11-3, and three, you're going to kind of regress to the mean a little bit, and you're going to get back to 500. And if the and that means that the Seattle Seahawks as a team are probably not going to reach the, you know, 11, 12, 13 win heights again, they're going to start to lose some of those games that they won last year just by random luck. They're going to regress to the median uh, or the mean, I should say. And, and that means that they maybe won't be as threatening in in 2020 as they were in 2019. Right. And, and I mean, you can see that when you like look at their point differential, right, like their point differential um, history tells us that teams with that point differential are usually about eight win teams, right? They're about 500. 
Um, and there's not many things. Essentially, if your quarterback has not been Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, then you haven't really shown an ability to be consistently successful in these type of games year after year. Because like you said, uh, a lot of it comes down to luck. Or if you don't you know, like the term luck uh, in, in this, it's really like things that you can't control, right? It might be just the outcome of a single play late in the game. It might be uh, whether you get a call on pass interference or not from the ref, right? Like just little things like that, that in those high leverage situations um, can have huge implications for the outcome of the game, but they don't really tell us a lot about the quality of the team overall and whether those things are likely to continue. And so, yeah, I, I think like overall, this was a very average, like, to be honest, it was a below average team with Russell Wilson, with like Russell Wilson being amazing. Um, and so while you do have a, a couple of additions there defensively, like I don't know if that's going to be enough to raise them up. Like they are in kind of a, a tough situation, right? They need Russell Wilson to continue to be brilliant. What would really help them is that uh, if they would unleash Wilson and actually put him in position to, to do great things successfully like that would help them maybe avoid some of these one score situations to begin with because so often what it is with them is they're like suboptimal play calling all throughout the game run the ball run the ball run the ball and it keeps it tight whereas if maybe if they took a little bit more pass heavy approach relied a little bit more on Wilson from the start of the game who knows like maybe they wouldn't be in those situations as often to begin with I think when you look at the the luck that goes into a one-score game. The Niners have lived that with Seattle, and they've lived both sides of that. You think of the end of the Atlanta game, and Julio Jones catches the ball, and because he's able to fall into the end zone, they end up getting the touchdown and winning the game. Well, against Seattle, you get a tight end who does not fall into the end zone, but just gets knocked short of the end zone, and all of a sudden, it's it's a win versus a loss. But a couple plays before that, Fred Warner is not called for pass interference on a play where... He could have easily been called for pass interference. That call happens, and all of a sudden, Seattle's outcome may be a little different because they've got, you know, first and goal from the one yard line. And at that point, then we're ruining the day that Marshawn Lynch came out of retirement. So I think that that, that that's the kind of stuff that we get into when you're talking about one score games. Is is that call doesn't necessarily make the Seahawks a better overall team than the Niners, but it would have given them the win. It would have likely given them the division. And, and and then I don't know that the Niners are able to, you know, what happens with a tougher road to the Super Bowl, I don't know. But it's a very different playoffs just because of a couple of plays at the end because that game was so tight. And and again, you, like, if you're going to look for a reason why they would continue to be better, like, it is usually teams with good quarterbacks. But even, you know, a lot of teams with, with quarterbacks that are Russell Wilson's caliber, like, they, they just don't managed to sustain this year after year so it, it is something where again history tells us that this is something that's very likely to at least come back down towards the middle of the pack and and we saw that like you know the season before they weren't uh, even at 500 right in one score games i think they were what do we say five and seven when you included uh the, the playoffs there so it's not like they're consistently year after year because they have a great quarterback doing better in these situations it's literally just like okay, in, in what seasons did the luck kind of bounce their way? Uh, and it's not really something you can rely on. And so, yeah, I think at that point it becomes, did they do enough with the rest of their roster? And specifically, I think with the defense to offset maybe some of the, the potential luck that's going to uh, switch the opposite way in those, those close games. Yeah. And I guess the question is, did they, because their defense was a, a pretty big liability in 2019. They had a, a pretty high utilization of base defense which was likely the result of not having a good nickel corner. And and I think a lot, Pete Carroll got a lot of crap for using a high degree of base defense, I think, in, in the Twitter sphere over, 20, over 2019. But his nickel utilization wasn't that low in 2017 or 2018. So chances are he was using a high degree of base defense because his linebackers were better than whatever corner he could trot out there. Um, but now you've got Jamal Adams and, and Quentin Dunbar, and I think that defense... I think that defense did get a little better. I don't know if it got necessarily great, but it got better. And just to like state like how much more base defense they were playing than everybody else, it's like it, it's kind of comical. Um, I mean, the the 
NFC West really actually leads the entire NFL in percentage of base defense played because you have, you know, the Niners, especially like uh, in there running a lot of more base offense personnel packages. Um, So the top three teams actually in terms of base defense last year was Seattle, Arizona, and then the Rams. But Seattle was at 68.7%. And then the Arizona uh, in, in second place was 30 percentage points lower, all the way down at 38. So like, even when you look at like, okay, yeah, Seattle plays teams like the 49ers that use a lot of these situations. And you think of defense largely responding to offense as kind of the way that I think most defenses approach it when it comes to personnel, right? If you put a third receiver on, most of those defenses are going to go ahead and put their nickel cornerback on. Like they were definitely making a conscious decision to veer away from that and, and make sure that they had their linebackers on the field. Yeah, and and I think now you've got a nickel corner that can actually, you know, Quentin Dunbar who can actually play some pretty good football. They add they add him to two corners that played pretty well. I mean, Shaq Griffin had a pretty good season, and Quandre Driggs also had a very very good season. They didn't bring back probably one of their better defensive players in Jadavian Clowney, but he's still available. the 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 thing that I worry about is that all of a sudden Clowney's like, yeah, I'm not going to get the 15 million dollars that. I wanted out on the open market, which apparently he turned down one, two and three year deals from the Browns that would have paid him somewhere between like 11 and $15 million a year. And it's basically like, yeah, I, I get it. I wouldn't want to play in Cleveland either. Like that's, that's, you couldn't pay me $15 million to go play in Cleveland is basically what Jadavian Clowney is saying. And that's, that's awful. <laughs> um, but the, the thing that I find so fascinating about, about bringing in Quentin Dunbar and, and, playing more nickel is you drafted Jordan Brooks as your first draft pick, who's an off-ball linebacker. And you've got two linebackers right now that that he Jordan Brooks is not better than Bobby Wagner. Um, he's not better than KJ Wright. Um, and, and so I wonder what happens to Jordan Brooks if you are now going to play a bit more nickel um, if you're not going to play three down linebackers. Yeah, I mean, and Jordan Brooks is not like it's not even that he's not better than those guys, um, right? And especially like year one, you wouldn't really expect that. But like he's not a good pass defender. Um, He was really uh, more of a run game specialist. And and that's kind of where he really made his mark uh, at, at Texas Tech. Only had one single pass breakup on over 1300 coverage snaps in his career at Texas Tech. So like not a guy that is is going to be really? making a lot of plays in coverage. Yeah, like it, it's it's not his mark. Like it was really out of nowhere, right, that they took this guy in the first round. Like it was really not a player, Amazing. especially in today's NFL, that has the profile of a linebacker that's going to go that early. So, yeah, he he's really a guy that is going to be a base down guy is when you're expecting teams to run the ball more, which obviously has pretty limited impact um, overall when you're talking about what a team's win-loss record is going to do. So, yeah, I think it's really more of a bizarre decision that they decided to go that route with their first-round pick. Um, If they're they're even reasonable uh, coaches on there, which, I mean, it's Pete Carroll, so who fucking knows? But uh, you you would expect that, like, yeah, Dunbar is going to see the field more often than Jordan Brooks does. Like, it just has to happen that way. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what's interesting is Carroll keeps keeps coaching as though he's got an elite defense, even though he really doesn't. Because yep. you think of the end of the divisional game when you choose like, oh, you know what? I'm just go ahead and pump the ball, try to get a stop, and then get the 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 ball back. It's like, well, if your defense doesn't get a stop, which they didn't, then all of a sudden it's a very very different scenario. So I think that he continues to coach like he has an elite D. the 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 worry at this point is that their defense is a little better than it was last year. I think better at least in coverage. The what will be interesting is how they cover the bigger kind of sets that the Niners can bring to the table. Because if you stay away from throwing to their corners, if you stay away from throwing to Quandre Diggs or Shaq Griffin, and all of a sudden you've got maybe Jordan Reed and George Kittle, now you're going up against, you know, maybe Bobby Wagner or maybe Jamal Adams, which doesn't necessarily, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo loves to throw or attempts to throw interceptions to Bobby Wagner at least once every couple of games. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know that that proposition is necessarily better. It just it always feels like their defense is able to match up relatively well uh, against the Niners. And so even though I don't think that the Seattle Seahawks are overall as a team, um, 
you know, they're, they're, they have this weird imbalance about them. They still always seem to give the Niners fits. Yeah, I, I think what's going to be interesting, too, with that defense, because, like, I, I don't know, you add Adams and Dunbar, and, yeah, I do think, like, improving the coverage unit to that degree would, would certainly make you think that, like, yeah, they should be better um, from what was, like, largely a middle-of-the-pack, like, below-average defense last season. Um, losing Clowney, though, I think is important because of the way that they approach defense, right? So normally when you think about this coverage pass rush type thing, uh, a lot of it comes down to the idea that you can manufacture pass rush, right? So I can do different things with either stunts or blitzes or things like that to um, allow maybe, you know, more mediocre type players to still be able to generate pass rush because I'm doing things schematically that are going to kind of hopefully break down protections and allow me to get guy free or get a guy with at least an easier path to the quarterback. I don't know that Seattle defensively really does those things, right? They, they are a pretty, I think, base rush for a lot of the time type of defense. And so at that point, when when you're missing Clowney, who was by far and away their best pass rusher, like it was really Clowney and then everyone else, like just a, a massive, massive gap between uh, him and the rest of their unit from a pass rushing standpoint, like their, their pass rush could be really, really fucking terrible. And if you're still making the decision as a coaching staff to just rush four and hope that those guys can get after it, like I think you're going to be in a tough situation and you are going to end up in spots where even maybe an improved secondary isn't quite enough to like offset and see real improvement. Like maybe that's just enough to like hopefully hold you steady in the middle of the pack. Yeah, Trey Flowers. Haven't even talked about that, dude. Kind of forgot he was there. Uh, Trey Flowers, also a corner. Also not terrible at football. Um, so overall, I think that this is a team that will still give the Niners fits, even if they're not going to reach the 12, 13 win heights that they did previously, likely because they're going to regress a little bit of the mean, but they'll, they'll, they're always going to be in the mix and Russell Wilson always gives them a chance. And that makes them incredibly annoying. Um, what, what does your gut tell you in terms of number of wins that they'll end up with? I like glass. Um, I mean, it's, it's tough because you do want to, like the quarterback position is just so much more important than everything else. And, and I think you have a, a fantastic one. I mean, Wilson, I think was uh, as much as we had great performances from guys like Mahomes and, and obviously Mar Jackson last season, like Russell Wilson to me was the best quarterback in football last year when you gave him the opportunity, like he was so on point from a passing perspective. Um, so I think you have one of the best quarterbacks in football there, which is definitely going to raise the overall level of your team. But I don't know. I, I think it's tough for them to get back to 11 wins. I don't know that they did enough um, elsewhere to kind of offset and, and improve some of the other areas. Uh, I think it depends a lot like on what they can get from Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I think they need those guys to stay healthy throughout the, the entire season to really like give Wilson guys that he can go to consistently. Because I don't really expect much from Olsen. And like I said, I, with the defense, I really don't think that they're going to be that much better. Yeah, I think they're gonna they're gonna be in that nine kind of win area, and if a couple things yeah. break their way, they'll get to ten. I think it would be a stretch to get to eleven, uh, but I do think that they could easily be at eight and eight, and and staring down not making the playoffs, just depending on how things kind of fall down. But you know who knows? Leonard Fournette may come and save that Seattle Seahawks offense. <laughs> Jesus. Well, let's get to a little bit about our sponsors. We've got two here in the mid-roll, and the first one is going to be DoorDash. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food that you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. David, I don't know what I did before, like food delivery services because it it like whether in austin we've got favor you've got doordash uh grubhub whatever they may be like i live basically like once or twice a week with some kind of delivery service so doordash is doing the lord's work at this point no way that i would have remotely survived the this whole covid situation without delivery services like a literal lifesaver to me yeah. Um you've you've been marked as a VIP on delivery services before in your past. Hey, hey, why you got to be putting all my business out there? All right? <laughs> Thought that was a private conversation among friends and you're putting it out there. 
That is one of my favorite David Newman fun facts. Uh, but choose your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Man, if you can get through that menu for the Cheesecake Factory to figure out what you want to order, <laughs> good for you. Good for you. Uh, many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your zero deliver and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. We've also got Sunday Ticket. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL, uh, sliding into those DMs apparently because uh, there's no preseason. So it's like, oh, hey, football. Uh, with SundayNFLTicket.tv, you can... Well, let me try that one more time, David. Uh, with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live... NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Business idea, David. Plug in the fantasy players on your team and have a fantasy channel that only shows when they're in games and or scoring touchdowns. Let's make it happen. That seems highly difficult. It's 2020. Let's make it happen. We've Look, Amazon can deliver your packages with a drone. We've got delivery services that will give you food from restaurants. We can make this happen. <laughs> Let's continue with the previews. Let's get to the Arizona Cardinals. Key additions, DeAndre Hopkins, Isaiah Simmons, Josh Jones. I hate the Arizona Cardinals. They had a good offseason. They had a good offseason. I hate the Arizona Cardinals a lot. Uh, first key question, I think, for the Cardinals is whether or not Murray is going to take a second-year leap. He gave the 49ers fits, but he melted down versus the Steelers, right? So, like, he, the Niners had a great defense last year, and, and Murray had his way with them at times, but then, you know, he has complete meltdowns uh, against teams that have either similar or even worse defenses. And, and overall, I think Murray is going to need to take a, a leap in order for the Cardinals to take a leap because he's been wildly inconsistent, and he definitely um, ends up with a lot of negative plays because of his style of play. Yeah, I mean, I think the the huge thing for him last year was he just took a ton of bad sacks, um, you know, and so I think there was definitely some things there that needs to clean up. If, if I remember correctly, he was our, he had the most downgrades of any quarterback on sacks, where even if you strip out like fumbles and stuff like that, right? So just plays where the, the final result of the play was a sack he was responsible for more of those than anybody in the NFL and was downgraded for more of those than anybody in the NFL, which is not normally like it really takes a lot for, for a quarterback to be able to get downgraded on that type of situation. Right. Cause a lot of times when you're taking a sack, it's, it's not re really your fault. Or even if it it is, it's like explainable in a way that it's like, okay, we're not really going to downgrade you. You didn't have a lot of great options here. Um, so to have that many plays where he was getting kind of hammered with that, like I think really is something that, that he needs to work on and correct, but the high end plays are there with him, right? Like he can make every fucking throw on the field and, and make some great throws. So it really is like finding that consistency and obviously not the end of the world when a rookie quarterback, um, is inconsistent, you expect those sort of ups and downs to, to some degree. And so I think, they're obviously doing things to try to set him up for success, right? Adding guys like DeAndre Hopkins this offseason is is definitely a scary proposition as a Niners fan. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm a big Murray fan. I think that he does a lot of things well, and, and it's just a matter of kind of cleaning up some of those uh, those mistake-prone areas um, that he dealt with last year and, and being more consistent. Second year in the NFL, you would expect him to be a little bit better and tighter in some of those situations. So... Yeah, I'm I'm not excited about it uh, as a 49ers fan. I I love pressure charting because one of the the fun bits of pressure charting is seeing how many pressures are assigned to the quarterback. Now, how does a, a quarterback get a pressure assigned to them? The, I think the most common and easiest one to understand is when a quarterback's drop is too far, 
they go to 10 or 11 yards instead of sticking it like seven or eight. And that makes it very difficult for the tackle to run a defensive end past you because when they try to run the, the, the defensive end past you, well, they're running them right into the quarterback because the quarterback has drifted too far. It is important for offensive linemen to know exactly where the quarterback is in order to protect that quarterback. And the thing that makes Kyler Murray very good, his ability to scramble and kind of get out of, of places, is also what runs him into sacks. And in 2019, he was charged with 42 pressures and 23 sacks. 42 pressures and 23 sacks as a result of Kyler Murray and not necessarily his offensive line. Although J.R. Sweezy definitely tried to help with 28 pressures of his own. He was like, I, I'm going to be the best at something. And, that, and the best at that something is apparently getting Kyler Murray hit. And Kyler Murray was like, nah, bro, hold my beer. Here you go. Uh, and Kyler Murray was responsible for 42 pressures uh, that, that comprised of 23 sacks, two hits, and 17 hurries. So Kyler Murray puts himself in, it puts himself in harm's way. Maybe a factor of him being really little, not being able to see over the offensive line. Also probably a little bit of him trusting his own athletic ability and being able to run away from people. Um, but all that to say that he definitely put himself in negative situations. And I think if I'm, a, if I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan, the thing that worries me the most about Kyler Murray is his performance in a clean pocket. It wasn't great. And we know that performance in a clean pocket is the thing that a quarterback can uh, sustain from year to year. What can you control? How well do you do in a controlled environment? And that is not a place where Kyler Murray shined. So if Kyler Murray is going to make a second year leap, and, and I do think he can, he's a talented guy. He, he is, I think it was that the Cardinals did the right thing by picking him first overall and not just saying we have Rosen. Uh, but I do think that it's not necessarily a given that he's going to take that second year leap. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the clean pocket stuff is certainly concerning. So when you look at it, kind of how he graded out um, with, with us at PFF in a clean pocket, among 39 quarterbacks that had at least 100 dropbacks under pressure, he was 37th. So not ideal. Um, certainly way down there. And you you want to be able to take advantage of those clean pocket situations for sure. And so um, that is an area that definitely has to improve. You know, I think with him with one year, I don't believe that he had those sort of issues. Um, I don't have it up right, right now, but I don't believe he had that type of performance from a clean pocket in college at all. So, you know, it's, it's one season you can maybe kind of give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt as being a rookie. Um, I think if, if it happens again this season, right, that's when it would start to be really concerning is like, okay, like what, what is going on? Why isn't he able to succeed in these situations when his offensive line is doing their job and, and giving him an opportunity to get the ball out. So it definitely something to monitor here, but that's something I feel like with what he showed in college is likely to rebound a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think definitely there there are plenty of areas for Murray to uh, that, that where he needs to improve and, and take steps forward in his game. It's definitely not a given, but the tools are there. I think they're doing what they can to surround him with quality players. I mean, they've got a, a pretty good stable of weapons offensively for him to be able to go to. And so uh, I, I think they're doing yeah everything they can to set him up for success. And it's just going to be a matter of whether he shows that development. Yeah, I mean, when you think of the weapons they have around him, I think DeAndre Hopkins is absolutely going to be a problem. And and I think even Kenyon Drake was definitely someone that gave the Niners fits. But much like I did not want DK Metcalf to go to Seattle because I knew that was like a perfect marriage of style of play and, and offense and, and kind of what Russell Wilson does best is basically bomb it deep. And DK Metcalf is really good at running in a straight line. I do think that the marriage of Kyler Murray um, and... Uh, his head coach and his scheme with the air raid. I mean, I think Cliff Kingsbury has an offense that Kyler Murray can feel very, very comfortable in. And and so I think that if any if any coach has a system that can really take what Murray does well and elevate it, it is Kingsbury. It, it is Cliff Kingsbury's system. So I think that that's you know all that goes all that goes to say that it's going to be interesting to see how he develops going into year two, given his overall number of weapons. Because I think at this point you've got DeAndre Hopkins. And Larry Fitzgerald in the slot. And and I mean, Larry Fitzgerald versus K1 Williams. And then you've got whomever, you know, maybe Richard Sherman is going up against DeAndre Hopkins. But that means that you've got at this point, you know, Christian Kirk going up against the other wide receiver. And Christian Kirk is is, you know, he's not like a, a 
super game-breaking wide receiver, but he's not bad at football. Oh, and, dude, yeah, I think he could definitely, like, he's another one that could be better this year, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you've got, you know, if you're going to try to go with, like, smaller, shiftier guy, you also have Andy Isabella. I mean, he kept the nine, he kept the Cardinals in the game with that big, you know, 80-some-odd-yard reception. And so they've got weapons that they can rely on. And when you think of the Niners' depth at corner, at this point now, you're like, yes, I hope Jason Verrett can stay healthy. Because when you're staring down, you know, kind of those four wide receiver sets, you might need them. Yeah. And the, I mean, the, the last thing I think with Murray, too, that that I'm kind of curious to see is whether they look to get him. Like when you see you step back throughout the offseason, you see what Lamar Jackson did from a designed run perspective. Right. Um, Kyler Murray is about the only quarterback in the NFL that can even approach Lamar Jackson's athleticism and, and the things that he can do on the ground um, from a designed run game standpoint. And so I think, yeah, not only are you looking, will he take a step forward as a passer and and be able to take advantage of some of these weapons that he's got, um, but will they get him more involved in the design run game and look to take advantage of his athleticism there? Because, I mean, if suddenly you have, uh, you know, we, we don't obviously spend a lot of time talking about the run game because a lot of times the run game doesn't really end up mattering that much when it comes to a team's overall success. But when you can run the ball, effectively with your quarterback like the Ravens showed last year like that can be a real path to success and so it could be very very dangerous if he's able to put it together as a passer and they start utilizing that athleticism more as a design runner now one of the other interesting things about the Cardinals is whether or not they're going to be able to close the gap between their pass rush and their coverage in 2020 Chandler Jones is amazing but he is basically doing all of it himself when it comes to the pass rush for the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals added uh, Devon Kennard from the Detroit Lions and Jordan Phillips from Buffalo. Um, None of those players, neither of those players is, you know, an all-world kind of like, oh yeah, you're going to fix the position right away, but they're they're trying to add pieces. But the fact is, is that they were the second worst defense in terms of expected points added per play in 2019. They were dead last in success rate allowed, which meant that it was the easiest defense for offenses to find success against. And they were extremely susceptible to passes over the middle of the field. When you look at basically what part of their defense was shredded, it was the middle of the field. I'm sure that has something to do with the fact that they face the Niners twice a year, but they weren't very good at stopping what the Niners did very, very well. Enter Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons, first round draft pick, 85% of his snaps at Clemson were in the box in the as a slot corner or as a free safety all positions which would have him covering the middle of the field if buddha baker is able to have some success against george kittle yes i make lots of jokes about how george kittle dribbles buddha baker it is true but buddha baker also had a couple of good reps against george kittle you know he had a forced uh, incompletion on third down you know he's he's not the the great pass defender i think that everyone will want to make him out to be certainly doesn't deserve the contract that he received i think but uh, but I do think that when you pair him with Isaiah Simmons, now you've got a movable chess piece that can help patrol the middle of the field. And if the Cardinals can mute the 49ers attack just a little bit and still have a very, very good offensive attack, they already pushed the Niners to the limit in one game and had a very, very good start to their first game. I wonder what happens now if that team actually gets a little better. I got to say, I'm really really pretty skeptical about Isaiah Simmons having success with this defense. Tell um, me, David, tell me what you think. So I think it's, a, I think it's a couple things. One, I, I think it's a, a defense that I'm not sure is intent on using him in the best way possible. Right. So you, when you, when you look at what he did at Clemson, I mean, he moved all around the place. Right. So he, he did spend a lot of time like around the line of scrimmage and, and kind of like generally near the box, but Um, would line up at linebacker, would line up in the slot, would line up at safety. Like he was filling a lot of different roles within Clemson's defense, right? So he was doing a lot of different things there. And I think that versatility, if used in the right way, can be can be effective, right? It can be something that in today's NFL is is very useful as a defensive uh, piece. But kind of as we've talked about, like versatility isn't good. Like being able to line up in different positions isn't great if you're not good at them. Right. So just because in theory, like he was used in, in a specific way uh, at, at Clemson and like um, 
and and he showed the ability to line up in these positions doesn't mean he excelled in all of them. And so I think when there's there's two things. One, they're not even planning to really use him in multiple ways. So I think he, they're they're probably looking at what he's worst at, which is as an in the box like off the ball linebacker, which is not really I think where he is set to excel. Um, and then I think there's there's some issues with him just as a player that I'm not sure was really uh, warranted as high of a draft pick position as, as he went, right? So I think from a run game perspective, especially when he's in the box as a linebacker, um, we've had a lot of conversations with uh, PFF's director of uh, analysis, sorry, uh, the, the guy that basically is in charge of all of our grading and kind of has final review of all the grades, Ben Stockwell, um, and, and t- had a lot of conversation with him about like how bad he was from a run fit perspective as a linebacker and then when you look at him as a pass coverage player yes lined up at a bunch of different spots but I I don't know that he really showed the ability as a coverage player that you would want um to as a player that's gonna like a Derwin James right so like I think the that's the comp that you would you would think of like a high-end player that can move around and play these different positions Derwin James with functional meniscuses and sure and and was like incredible at it right so like he was truly a guy that you could go you could line up in these spots and you could expect him to do well and excel in all of them Isaiah Simmons was a lot more hit miss like he made some really high-end plays but he also had some just horrendous busts and missed assignments and it felt like when he was asked to be that versatile player it was almost like you were putting too much on his shoulders, right? He had too much to think about. And so every once in a while it would come together and he would make a great play because he's an extremely athletic dude. But there were a lot of plays where things just fell apart and he wasn't in the right spot and he was leaving these kind of vacated areas in coverage. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little hesitant about him coming in and kind of like being a significant factor in fixing these middle of the field problems, especially because they seem intent on using him in probably the worst way possible, right? If you were going to pick just like, okay, let's have you focus on one thing being the inbox linebacker, traditional linebacker player is not the one thing that I would pick for him. Interesting. Not buying into the Isaiah Simmons hype here for it. Who's going to have a better rookie year, Josh Jones or, or Isaiah Simmons? I don't know. That's uh, that's really put me on the spot. Um, you can't you can't be. I don't know because Josh Jones is one of those guys that, and we'll get to the Rams here in a second. We're gonna wrap up with the Rams, but Josh Jones was someone who was considered really a steal to draft. I mean, we talked about him a little bit when we were previewing first round tackles for the Niners, and and here he is in in the third round. So is is he gonna have uh, you know a better year? Not that it's really gonna matter with Kyler Murray running around back there with like a chicken with his head cut off, but. Um, is Josh Jones going to have a, a better who's or better yet? Who's going to have more pressures allowed Kyler Murray or Josh Jones? Uh, God, maybe Kyler Murray. Um, no, I don't like Jones was a guy that like, yeah, he was getting that first round hype. Um, but I don't remember like really loving his tape that much. Like, I, I think there were, um, you know, kind of some things with his game that just like really weren't all that exciting to me. Like, I felt like he had a long way to go, a lot of polish to get. So I don't I don't really expect him to have. A strong rookie season. I think there is a good reason that he fell to the third round, didn't ultimately get selected in that first round. But um, so I guess from that perspective, I would probably still pick Simmons. Like, I don't think Simmons is a bad player. Like, I want to make that clear. Like, I just don't know that he was worth the like whatever. What was he sixth overall or something like that, that that he went um, in the draft? Like, I don't think he was he's that caliber of defender. Like, if you're expecting him to come in and be Derwin James, I think you're going to be disappointed. But I don't think he's bad necessarily so i would still kind of probably lean towards simmons having a better season and a more impactful season for the cardinals this year yeah i think we had jones after uh andrew thomas jedrick wills and uh and maybe just ahead of makai Becton. Um, yeah it was back so. Becton was like didn't understand that first round hype at all it was a pure tools thing like his tape was a disaster but other than him in the occasional run play, just like tossing a much smaller human aside. Like that was, that was a lot of fun, but yeah, Jones um, definitely, I felt like had a longer way to go than some of those other guys that went in the first round. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the LA Rams key additions. Uh, really who needs first round draft picks is really their key addition. Uh, per Chase Stewart, only the chiefs have had less draft capital than the Rams over the last five years. And with whatever draft capital the chiefs had, they have a Super Bowl win. They have Mahomes. They have Tyreek Hill. Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. 
and Frank Clark. The Rams have Jared Goff, Jalen Ramsey, and... <laughs> that's, that's that's about it. Uh, Cam Akers? No, we're not going yeah, to throw Akers. Cam Akers in there? Cam, right. We'll throw Cam Akers in there. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. You can have Acres of Acres. It's fine. Uh, the, the yeah, it's it's interesting because they they don't have. I mean, Cam Akers is their key addition at this point. Yeah, like and, and maybe Van Jefferson, who is probably going to have a better overall season, maybe than Cam Akers. But like that's that's it. And, and so that leads right into the key question for the Rams, which is can a roster with two twenty five million dollar players and no first round picks, seemingly for like the last five years and the next five, find a supporting cast for Jared Goff? when that quarterback really needs a good surrounding cast around him. I'm going to, I'm going to say probably no. Yeah. Goff was, was the last first round pick that they had. They have not had a first rounder since him. Um, and yeah, I'm going to say that it's incredibly difficult to win with that formula when you have, like if this, if Goff was Russell Wilson, right? Like you, we, we've seen Seattle, like you can make that work, right? If you have a, a couple other players that you're paying at the very high end of the market. Um, and, and I mean, God, but you're paying that much fucking money to a running back. Like, okay. If you have an incredible quarterback, you can, you can figure it out and you can like, at least your floor is much higher, right? You're not going to be worse than probably a seven, eight win team, even if everything falls apart because you have that quarterback that can kind of lift everything up and, and, and buy you some wins. Um, but when that quarterback is Jared Goff and he is, like you said, a guy that I think, I don't think Goff is a bad or terrible quarterback by any means, but he is a guy that I think definitely needs a good environment around him. He needs a good supporting cast. He needs things to be clicking from a scheme standpoint. Like if you get, put him in a good environment, he can make some incredible throws. Like you look at some of the throws on his tape and they're fantastic. Right. And and those are things that like, th- those don't just go away. Right. Like he has that ability, but there's just something about like when, when it's all on his shoulders and you don't have those great pieces around him and you're not putting him in ideal situations. I just don't think he's a guy that's going to elevate the level of the offense. Right. He can, succeed in a good offense but like that's kind of where you're at with him and it becomes very good when you have all those factors that you mentioned to put him in a good environment the rams have 36 million dollars in dead money 21.8 million dollars to brandon cooks 11.7 million dollars to todd Gurley, 2 million to clay matthews and 226,000 to john franklin myers that that is a ton. Not only do you have that much dead money, yeah, you have that much dead money, but then you also have fifty million dollars tied up in Aaron Donald and Jared Goff. And, and it's, I mean, that that's basically eighty six million dollars of your, you know, north of two hundred million dollar cap. That that that's not an insignificant amount of money tied up in effectively two players. And and you get to the the cast around Jared Goff. And you look at his offensive line, it's not exactly inspiring confidence. You've got a 39-year-old Andrew Whitworth, who on hard knocks seems to be complaining about his osteoarthritic bones turning into a fine powder before our very eyes. Like, the dude is, like, bending over and just going, like, ugh. It's like, wow, my dude. Try some, like, some of the Theris stuff from our podcast. We've got a promo code. It's called Blue Wire. Try one. Buy one, get one free. (laughs) But I mean, but th- their offensive line isn't exactly inspiring confidence. And and because their offensive line did not perform super well, that seemed to have the rest of that offense crumble around them. I think if you're looking at some of the positives for what the Rams have been able to do, it's definitely one of the best nicknames in football, Bobby Trees. You've got Robert Woods, uh, who's been open on nearly two thirds of his single coverage targets since 2017. That's the fifth best in the NFL during that time. And you've also got Van Jefferson, who I think is probably going to be a pretty good wide receiver in the NFL. He's apparently won a starting role in 11 personnel, which is their base personnel. So their wide receivers are still very good. And if their offensive line can bounce back a bit, you're going to see maybe Jared Goff perform a little bit better. And maybe that offense is going to have a bit more production than it did last year. I mean, I, I, I feel like that's definitely a big if, right? Like, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think of all the teams, like, right, I think with with Seattle, 
you can point to, you know, the Adams Dunbar acquisitions. You can say like, okay, we added two impact players in the secondary. We think secondary is, you know, obviously a big deal in your ability to cover the pass. Like, okay, I I can maybe point to that as a reason why they might be better this year. Arizona obviously did a a number of things that I think are, are very good. um, and, And they certainly seem set up to be a better team this year. Like the Rams, I really don't think there's anything you can point to, right? Like if anything, they lost like some significant pieces um, and, and are probably like looking at least on paper going into this year worse than they were last year. Right. So I think it is uh, kind of a big ask overall. Um, and, and I just don't see really a way without like, I, I feel like it's going to come down to can golf somehow exceed expectations, right? Like I, I don't think the scenario of them getting better around him um like because uh, i just don't think the offensive line is in good shape they were really really bad last year both from a pass protection and run game standpoint um and and so that was going to be really iffy and so i think it's more a matter of, like if they're going to be significantly better this year it's going to have to be because Goff somehow takes a step forward and becomes a player that's been better than the one that we've seen um throughout his nfl career so far and and can kind of elevate that that team a little bit because i just don't see him getting the support that he needs elsewhere interestingly enough they do have weapons around golf because when you talk about their wide receivers you know they've got bobby trees they've got uh they've got cooper cup they've got some weapons there they also have two tight ends that are pretty good they've got tyler higby and gerald everett they did switch a bit to a two tight end set last year in 2017 and 2018, they were dead last in 12 personnel. It's two tight end utilization uh, in the NFL. But last year, that climbed up to 21% or 12th in the NFL in 2019. If you just take a look at the last five weeks of the season, they were at a 35.7% 12 personnel utilization, which is fourth in the NFL. So you've got a two tight end set. You've got Cooper Cup. You've got Bobby Trees. You've got whatever comes of Van Jefferson. He's got perimeter and tight end passing game weapons. It really is going to depend on whether or not he has time to actually get the ball to them. And and that's going to be, I think, a difficult proposition for them. And they didn't really do a whole lot on the offensive line in order to add players. And and they're probably still going to have to score points because their linebackers are basically god-awful. All of their good linebackers are gone. Littleton, Fowler, and even their ones that weren't very good are gone in Clay Matthews. Um Ebucom, who was replaced last year, is now back to being a starter. So he was so good, the Rams thought, we got to replace you. And now they're like, okay, be a starter again. Like they they basically like don't have anyone on defense that's going to be very good other than Jalen Ramsey. Um, and, and it's like, okay, like this is going to be, you know, you've got some secondary players, but man, when you're talking about the Niners being able to eat up space in the middle of the field, You've got to think that Kyle Shanahan is looking at those linebackers and thinking like, yeah, this is going to be the Jordan Reed game. We're not even going to like, we're not even going to flex George Kittle on you. Like you're not even at the George Kittle level. We're just going to send out our backup. Dwelly and Reed are going to just get all of the things. Yeah. I mean, the, the linebacker situation is not ideal. I, I think just defensively, right? Like I think defensively they, they are going to have some issues and I think that leads to like setting Goff up with success, right? So like one of the things that they do so well is um the, obviously the play action game and everything that that's involved there um and that is again less on the success of their actual run game and whether cam Akers can come in and and be a savior and um and and help there it's, it's more about whether you can be in situations where the defense has to be concerned about the run right and if you're losing by two scores like they're not terribly concerned about the run because they know that you're going to pass and and then when the the, the defense can sit there in their nickel personnel or whatever it is and, and sit back without having to worry about the threat of run and, and golf has to just step back and, and go into normal drop back situations and throw the ball when they know it's coming. Like that's a different animal than being in close games or being ahead where they have to respect the threat of the run. You can get those two tight ends on the field. You can get in those run heavy looks that they like to do with like the condensed formations and really sell that outside zone action and set up the play action stuff to do all the things that we talk about that Kyle Shanahan loves to do, right? A lot of what they do successfully offensively when things are clicking with that play action game are the same things that we talk about with the 49ers. And so they really want to be able to go to the middle of the field and attack that intermediate area. But if you don't have, you know, a defense that can keep you in games or you don't have uh, some of these other pieces there and you're stuck in those, you know, 
situations where the defense knows you're going to pass, like that becomes very difficult. And so, yeah, losing things um, like Corey Littleton and, and everything that they've got going on defensively, uh, I think is going to be tough and make things more difficult for their offense. All right. So let's round out the divisional preview with a quick lightning round. Uh, David one with an expanded playoff. Does the NFC West send three teams? Uh, off the top of my head, the, no, I'm going to say no. Which team beats last year's win total by the most games? Seattle was 12 and four. Arizona was five, 10 and one. And LA was nine and seven. Got to be Arizona, right? Arizona's got the most room to go up. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you have to pick the team that has like the room to do it, right? Because right. Seattle going up like from 12 Se- Seattle going up from 12, I think is a stretch, right? Like, yeah, their best case scenario is probably finding a way to get back to that 12 win stage. Um, you know, LA, like, you know, again, nine, nine wins. I don't think they're going to up too much from there. Like Arizona can be an, a mediocre, like eight, nine win team and still be a significant improvement from what they were last year. So I think, yeah, it has to be Arizona for sure. Is that how you would order them? In terms of, you know, wherever the Niners finish, right? Seattle, Arizona, LA. I think Arizona has a real shot to to get into that second place. Like I do think that the Niners have the best roster and are in the best position to to still win that division. But um Arizona and what they've done, it like it, it really comes down to Kyler, right? And all we, we we spend a lot of time talking about Kyler. Like if he can figure it out and be a good quarterback this year, like they are really in position to take a, a huge leap forward. I think. Yeah, I do think at, at minimum Arizona will overtake LA. Yeah, and, and I think LA ends up being the the last team in the division so far. Who do you think will be the most impactful addition to the NFC West? New net new player this year. And it, it's kind of hard. And, not and to why go. is it Isaiah Simmons? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to go with, uh, with DeAndre Hopkins. Right. So I think like, you know, obviously I mean, Jamal Adams. Answer. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I mean, Jamal Adams throws a late wrench in there, right? Like, um, you know, certainly wasn't, uh, I think on the radar at the beginning of the off season and, and something that came together late. Uh, and, and so I think he's like probably the closest potential player just from in terms of like, the caliber of player and playing a position where he could uh, possibly impact the game at, at a reasonable level. Right. So uh, I don't think it's a large list when you consider that the Rams didn't really add anyone of note. And you're really talking about like, well, they two can't. Teams. Yeah. They, they probably have a dead money charge from the yeah. guy who like runs up and down the bleachers saying, get your beer here because they charged him to the salary cap in some way, shape or form. Like they just have no money. Yeah, so I, I think it's it's clearly comes down to Hopkins or Adams, and I just feel like uh, again Hopkins is I think a better player is in a position to have a larger impact, and I think is on an ascending offense. Honestly, Hopkins versus Sherm is going to be really fun to watch because none of them, neither of them are particularly fast. They're just incredibly technical, and Hopkins is going to catch basically anything that comes near his body. And Sherman is going to be big and strong enough to be able to, to, to break those things up. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'm wondering if they, if they move him around and kind of get him in different spots to try to move him away from Sherman. Because Hopkins in the slot versus K1 Williams, um, I'm, you know, K1's very, very good. And he's an underrated corner. But there's a bit of a size discrepancy there that doesn't really go well for K1. And K1 is not a man coverage guy. Like, I think K1 does really well in the Niner system because it's a zone heavy system, right? I think he does really well in some of those underneath drops. And, and uh, again, if you listen to the scheme month and listen to uh, all of the, the coverage stuff that we talked about there in those underneath coverage roles is really where I think K1 does well. Um, and he's put in that position a lot in this defense, right? So I think that's why he's been so good for the 49ers. Definitely not a guy. I think you want matching up with somebody like Hopkins, right? If they throw him in the slot, like that's not going to go well for them. And finally, which non-quarterback will be most important for their team in the NFC West? I mean, it's kind of the same answer, right? It's kind oh, of- I would say, it's, I would say, I'm honestly, if, if at this point it's the NFC West, I would say it's probably George Kittle. Oh yeah, I guess if you start including, yeah, I, I guess I wasn't really thinking, thinking 49ers. So, I mean, maybe. Um, and I think it's right there, right? Like that's the kind of caliber of players that that you're looking at with Hopkins and Kittle. Um, 
Yeah, non. I I think like when you look at Seattle is where I like my also like my mind goes to like having yeah. they need non quarterbacks right to step because their their quarterback is the only fucking guy that seems to be carrying his weight consistently. So I think you could look at it maybe somebody like uh you know Tyler Lockett DK Metcalf combination. I think you could look at maybe somebody defensively like Adams or Dunbar. Um, and, and needing to get huge impact plays from those positions to kind of help their quarterback out. Whereas I think when you look at Arizona, um, you look at the Niners to some degree, um, and, and certainly the Rams, like we talked about, like how their quarterback does, I think their, their quarterback situation, while not bad by any means is less clearly good than the Seahawks. Right. So I think what their quarterback does is largely going to have like the biggest impact on how their season goes. Whereas with Seattle, it's kind of the opposite. We, we, we really expect Wilson to be good. We need some of those other players to step up. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. You can always get our scheme month videos so you can talk about all of manner of interesting stuff about scheme, how to identify coverages and also what, so Shanahan does well on our Patreon. You can go to Better Rivals or you go to patreon.com forward slash Better Rivals. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, go Niners. David, the wait's finally over. The outro music is done and football's back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Coaching props? Like, will Shanahan wear a red hat? Or, like, will they go for it on fourth down? Like, these, these are the questions I need answered. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.